I want to give a shout out this morning to uh, our band. I thought they sounded exceptionally good this morning. Yeah. And here's the deal. You know, their job is not to necessarily sound good. Their job is to aid us to worship. And whenever that's happening, that's a good thing. Whenever there is a sense of them drawing us into worship of God and to seeing towards Him and remembering Him, devoting ourselves more, more fully to Him, that's a good thing. And I sense that also happened this morning to God's glory. So I, I want to thank them for their work in that way with us. Open your Bibles. We are back in the book of Joshua this morning. We're going to be reading that passage in just a few minutes. Let me start by saying uh, sometimes people surprise you. You know that? Sometimes people surprise you. There's kind of more under the hood than you imagined might be there. They fulfill the statement or the saying that many of us know, don't judge a book by its cover. One person that's in my life, I think, that fits that category. I think there are many. But one that I thought about this week was my, a best friend of mine. I had a couple best friends, but one of my best friends in, in grade school, on into middle school and high school. And his name was Romero. And Romero and I grew up together, same elementary school, obviously. And um, we grew up in a northern California town, very farming town. And as you might imagine, because there was so much farming around us, it was a spot where a lot of migrant workers came. Romero's family was from Mexico, and uh, they came and settled in the area. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the family and he, with all the migrant workers, lived in some projects that were on the end of town. We didn't call them that. At the time, I'm not sure I even realized that. But that's what it was. They were the projects on the edge of town. And I knew enough that I could kind of go see them during the day, but not at night. And, you know, that was just kind of all some subconscious stuff that was going on. Romero uh, lived a tough life. But he went and rose above those odds. Romero would graduate from high school. Romero would even go to college and get a college degree as a teacher. He would teach, and he would all, uh, make his way all the way up to uh, uh, the principal of a, a local high school in the area where we both grew up, in Yuba City. He was a principal in Marysville. Had a family, uh, married, a faithful husband, and I might even add is a brother of mine in faith. Romero uh, was actually the best man in our wedding. That's how much I think of him, and that's how close I have been with him. And Romero fulfills that ideal of somebody that you first look at and you say, boy, with all the challenges that have come with life and maybe the, th the baggage, some of the baggage that you've carried, I don't know if I expect that much, but he went above and beyond all that I think many around him expected. We continue the story of Rahab today. We're at the heart of the matter today. We're getting down to the meat of the story and spoiler alert, Rahab is the person that surprises us. Like from out of nowhere, Rahab is just this shining example to us of, of faith. And as a reminder, we learned last week that the mission of the spies, well, in a word, was a disaster. The mission of the spies was to go into Jericho and to check out what was going to be like to invade 
And well, from the get-go, it was a bust. They, they get into Jericho and they get to the, first of all, a dubious spot, the, the room of the, or the home of the prostitute of the city. And it's like, boys, are you sure we Jewish boys should be there? But there they were. And they also failed immediately because the king found out that they were there. And so the king's men are searching for them immediately. And so, you know, from a spy mission, it's not much of a spy mission. It's a bust. And so they have a giant disaster. But God is at work, and God is going to overcome all of those shortcomings, and God is going to use a woman named Rahab. Today, Rahab's story comes into focus for us, and she is a woman that's going to show us so much. I'm going to read the story. It's a bit long, but it's worth reading today, and I want you to listen for three episodes or three chapters in the story. First of all, Rahab is going to give a fairly long speech to the spies. Second, the spies are going to have a response to her. And third, she, they're, going to be, she's going to be let, they're going to be let down out of her house by a rope onto the ground. And then they're going to make their way back to Joshua and report exactly what's happened in Jericho. I'm in Joshua chapter 2 and I'm picking up in verse 8. And if you have your Bible open, I would encourage you to follow along as I read this. Maybe you have one on your phone or a paper one. And so follow along as we read this story from God's Word. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. and In other words, they're melting away in fear. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard our hearts and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our lives for yours, even to death. If we do not tell this business of ours, then the Lord give us the land. We will deal kind faith with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, so on the, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be, we'll be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you will let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. 
But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within your house, your house, his blood shall be on his head. But if you tell the, this business of ours that we, sh- we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath and you have, that you have made us swear. And he said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them on their way and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in her window. Then the men departed and went into the hills and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. And then the pursuers searched all the way and found nothing. Then the men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and to, over to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands and the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Lord, we are asking this morning that again we have ears to hear your word to us. What is it about the life of Rahab that's going to speak to all of us today? We ask you, just unplug our ears that we would be recipients of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Rahab is a person who is an unlikely person to have a phenomenal faith. But she is a woman that has a phenomenal faith. What makes her so unlikely to be a candidate for, un- for phenomenal faith? Well, first of all, she would be considered an enemy of the Israelites. They're getting ready to invade her city and destroy all the inhabitants of the city. And so she represents a person on the other side. And so she's automatically not a person we would suspect to have much faith at all, at least not much faith in the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. She's also, well, one that's got a dubious profession. It's not necessarily a kosher profession, all right? She's the prostitute of the city, and you're not expecting much out of somebody who has, well, lived that kind of long and sordid lifestyle. And so automatically we're we're people that are like, wow, we're not necessarily expecting much from Rahab. But Rahab, well, she is a woman with phenomenal faith. And she's got a phenomenal faith that is, well, so fruitful and so abounding that it's inviting to all of us. It's teaching all of us about the kind of faith that God is really looking for in us. Today I want to talk about the nature of Rahab's phenomenal faith I don't want to bring out three principles or three things about the nature of her faith that are especially compelling to us. And we'll make our way through the story and we'll find out more about this woman who has phenomenal faith. First of all, Rahab's faith is phenomenal because it is anchored. It's anchored. Let me explain what I mean by that. Rahab has been, uh, has been giving a speech to the men. In fact, The speech that she gives to the men is one of the longest in the Old Testament of any women. So again, she is given a lot of airtime here to explain what she means by having faith in the God of the Hebrews. Make no mistake, her speech is expressing faith in the Jewish God. And it's expressing faith that's anchored because she's going to be explaining some things about God that he's done that she is relying upon now as she moves forward. So she's saying, there's two things about God that I want to remind you about, spies, that is especially important to us in Jericho and is especially important to me. The very first thing she she says is, we remember that your God is the one who parted the Red Sea. 
Now, you remember that story. It's, uh, again, from the book of Exodus. And I've got a picture here of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's a movie that comes out normally around Easter time. And maybe you've seen the movie, I don't know, within the last 10 years or so. And you remember, that's one of the big classic scenes is where the, the Red Sea is parted and everybody that's the Hebrews gets to walk across. And you remember what happens to all of the Pharaoh's army. They come down on their chariots and their horses and they get stuck in the middle of the Red Sea and the water comes in and just overtakes them. And victory is obviously given to uh, the Lord and to his people. Now, again, from Rahab's perspective, that event happened 40 years ago. A whole generation has passed in the wilderness since that event happened. And she says that event is still reverberating here in Jericho and in Canaan, the land. Everybody remembers what your God did at that moment in saving his people and Wow, we, we're, we think that's a powerful thing. Now, that's not the only thing, though, that she says. She brings another incident that is also dealing with the destruction of foreign kings. And she says, we also remember what you did to Sihon and Og. Now, again, for some of us, whoo, that passes right over. And we're like, I don't get that. Something happened there, but I'm not really sure what it was. You need a map in order to be able to get this and have this explained well. And so I've got that map up here for you. And you're going to notice that Jericho is right above the Dead Sea. You see it there. And immediately to the right is the Amorites land. You see it up to the upper right. And right there it says the kingdom of Sihon. And above that is the kingdom of Og. Both of those are in kind of that golden, uh, that golden uh, color of, of font. What she's saying is you have been camping there on the other side of the Jordan. You're getting ready to come into Jericho. But on your way in, God gave you victory over two kings that we think are pretty powerful. God gave you victory over the king of Sihon and the king of Og, two kings over the Amorites' people, and that's no small matter. Those kings we thought were pretty powerful, but before your God, they were like, like chaff or, or, or like dry wheat in front of a furnace. They just melted away and they burned up. And so she says, I am thinking about these things that your God has done, and it's reminding me and it's telling me yours is the true God. He's the God of the heavens and he's the God of earth, and he is the God that I, well, I want to honor too. And so again, she is anchoring her faith and she's anchoring her faith in the mighty acts of God. Her focus is upon who God is and what he's accomplished. And so many times in the scriptures, we are told that we are to remember something about God. Remember the acts of God. I'm in Psalm 105 verse 5. And this is what it says. Remember the wonders he's done, his miracles and the judgments he's pronounced. You're to remember wonders, miracles, judgments. You're to remember things like wonders. Like again, God actually after he parted the Red Sea, fed his people for 40 years on manna that fell down from the sky every day. A wonder. That's like how did that even happen? How do you accomplish something like that? We're to anchor ourselves in miracles. The rising of Jesus from the dead. The healing of people in Jesus' day at the mere touch. 
the feeding of the 5,000, all miracles. They defy any kind of description, but these are things that our God has done. And then he also says you're to remember again the things that are, the, the, the things that are pronouncements. And what he means by that is pronouncements of, of, of what God's going to do or pronouncements even of judgment. I think again of, of what's going to happen with Satan. God has pronounced that Satan and his minion are going to be utterly destroyed. They're going to be set aside and, and taken care of. I think of Ananias and Sapphira and the pronouncement that was made upon them for lying. And again, death was what reigned upon them. But those are the things, the judgments and the pronouncements that also affect who we know God to be. It's interesting because Rahab's faith is focused on not how God makes her feel, but upon who she says God is by the acts that he's done. And I think we as Americans can so many times base our faith upon how we feel. And we can get into this mode of like, well, I feel, I feel kind of sad today, so I think God maybe has let me down in some ways. Or I feel exceptionally happy. I got a raise at work, and uh, my, my kids are doing well, so now I'm, I'm good with God. And so much can be based upon, again, how we feel. And Rahab is a reminder to us that faith, right faith, is based upon what God, who he is and what he's accomplished. And all of the things that he's accomplished in the past, I'm pulling forward and saying, a God like that is somebody I want to follow today. And I believe he has the capacity to act the same way in my life today as he has in the past. Think about this for a minute. If Rahab was going to base her faith upon how she feels, how is she feeling at the moment that the spies arrived? Well, let's see. My city is slated for destruction. You know, I don't have the best profession in the city. I probably will not be looked on with much kindness. And so, if I base that on how I feel, things are not looking very good. But boy, if I am looking at God from the perspective of who he is and what he's accomplished, well then like, wow, I've seen that he has been so compassionate to his people in the past. And he saved them actually through the Red Sea. Maybe he has something to offer also to me. And that's where Rahab lands. And that's one of the things that makes her faith so phenomenal is it's anchored in the true nature of God. She's not following any God. She's following the God again of the Hebrews, Yahweh. And she is saying, I, I want to be found in him. Secondly, her faith is phenomenal because it's practical. She recounts the wonderful things that God has done, but then she turns the corner, and guess what? She asks for something. She is saying, I have shown kindness to you guys, and I'm actually asking you to show kindness in return to me. I'm in verse 12. This is what it says. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And so she is asking something of these spies and what she's asking for is pretty gutsy. She is making her faith practical at this moment and she expects that faith in Yahweh is actually going to transpire with something very positive in her life. And so she's asking them, won't you show me kindness? Now, I need for you to understand a little bit about this word kindness because it's a very important Hebrew word and it's used a lot related to God and the way he's treating us, but also the way that we are treating, again, one another. 
And this is the way that she says that she is treating the spies and she wants them to treat her with kindness. The word is chesed, chesed. Uh, it's kind of got that in there, chesed. And this is what it is. It's a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior toward another person. And so we are told that God is kind to us. And she's saying, I have been kind to you guys. I've shown you love and loyalty. I've shown you mercy and compassion. And I'm asking, when the army arrives, when the Israelites arrive and they're ready to destroy my city, would you show kindness to me and to my family too? Because that's what I'm asking for as I'm now lining up to follow God with you. Is your faith one in which you ask God for something? Is your faith in that category? Rahab's was. And Jesus clearly tells us, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And here's my, my concern. My concern is that faith in America, too many times in American church, is something that is a religious idea, but it's not something that gets practical. It's not something that needs to be acted upon right now. And the question I have for you is, are, is there something that you're actually asking God for right now? Is there something that you're saying, God, I need this, and I'm asking you to intervene in my life in this way? If that's not something that's happening with you, then you need a little jolt right now. In fact, I think you need a jolt of practical, because that's what what Rahab was showing us is that faith was very practical for her and she was wanting God to do something as a result of following her. Let me give you an example of this that I just heard yesterday and boy, the minute I heard this, I said, oh man, this is gonna fit tomorrow. I can't wait to tell the story. I performed or I officiated the wedding yesterday for Stan Kylo and Stan married uh, Alice from Kenya and it was a joyous service with Kenyan music and Kenyan dancing. And they had all of us moving. They had me moving and it was a fun time. And it was just a, a great wedding that I'll always remember. And it was a, after the wedding was over, we were in the reception area. And I, I happened to notice out of the corner of my eye that a man went up to a woman and he said, smile, you're having a baby. And I thought, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. And so uh, you know, we kind of milled around and I made my way back over to the man as, as the day went on. And I said, I couldn't help but notice that you went up and said, smile, you're having a baby. I said, is that just kind of your line for giving people to get a good picture from them? You know, kind of like we'd say cheese, but you say, smile, Denise, you're having a baby. You know, <laughs> is, that, is that the kind of idea, you know? I could get a good response from people. He said, no, no. He said, uh, this is my daughter. And she's truly having a baby. And I said, well, that's cool. That is very cool. Tell me more. And he said, well, my daughter has been unable to have children for many years. She, she tried a lot. And he said, we, she came to the spot where this Father's Day. So it would have been, what, third week in June. And he said, I felt the Lord press upon my heart that I was to ask him to help my daughter get pregnant. And he said, it was just so crystal clear for me that God wanted me to do that. And so on Father's Day, we gathered her around and he said, we anointed her with oil and we asked, Lord, would you open her womb? And he said, just this few months later, 
I mean, we shouldn't be astonished, but we're so happy. My daughter's having a baby. And I was just like, man, is that just a great story from top to bottom. I mean, you knew something that you really wanted and needed from the Lord. You felt the Lord nudge you, and you acted upon that and said, Lord, I can't, I can't make you do this. It's not what I'm asking. But, but Lord, out of your kindness, would you, would you give my daughter a baby? And I, I, I can't wait to see this couple or this mom and this dad and daughter uh, later I, when the baby's born. I, I mean, I, I think it's just going to be a glorious story that is told again and again about how God has intervened in, in such a personal and an intimate way. What, what do I want you to hear right now? What do, what do I want you to hear? That God is a genie you can ask for anything, anytime. No. God's a vending machine. All you do, do is press the right buttons. No. What I want you to hear is God's a father who cares. Do you care about your children, if you have children, coming to you and expressing their hearts, their deepest needs? I do. It's always a tender time. Even when my adult children come to me and say, Dad, I need to tell you what's happened in my life. Dad, I need to tell you what I need in my life. Dad, I need some advice. Dad, I even need some money. Dad, I need something. You know, whatever it is. I love that about my children. I love that they would trust me in that way. And that's the nature of our Heavenly Father. And he's saying, won't you come to me? Won't you ask me for the things that are most needed in your life? I can't always say that they're going to give those because I'm going to give you the things that are best for you. And you might not even know what's best for you right now. But my heart is one of wanting to meet you. Rahab makes her faith very practical and she asks for something. And by the way, it's going to be something that she gets. It's going to be as big as, 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 it, as the question is or as the request is. It's going to be something that is going to be granted to her. And I think, again, she makes her way into the scriptures as the central character of this entire passage. And she does so for a good reason. Because she acts in an exemplary way and she has a tremendous and phenomenal faith that's worth remembering and worth emulating. All right, there's one more thing I want you to see. Rahab's faith is finally active. And this may sound very similar to practical, but I think it's slightly different, and I want to explain to you how it's slightly different, how, how, how active is slightly different than practical. Rahab took steps to safeguard the spies, and so she made good on her promises. She does what she promises to do, and that's what makes her faith very active. She lowers the men out of her window that's built into the wall to their safety. In fact, I've got an illustration or a drawing of what that might have looked like. I have no idea what the walls of Jericho actually look like. We know that they're thick, really thick. And so it's thick enough in order to have a whole home or an apartment that is within the housing of that wall. And again, on the top of the wall would be chariots that might go around that or there might be uh, soldiers that would go around that. And so they are defending the city from those walls. But the walls are big enough to have openings for windows and that's the way that the men are let down. They didn't go through the front gate because the front gate's guarded by the king. But they can let them down out of the window and they're let down to their safety. 
she also is one that uh, the spies come and say, well, well, you know, we thank you that you've been kind to us, but by the way, there's some things that I want you to do that will demonstrate that you're with us, and if you fail in any of these ways, then we're off the hook, all right? So these are the things that you've got to do. Number one, you've got to fly the red scarlet cord from your window. Why? Well, that's going to be a signal to all of the army when they come in. That's where Rahab is. We're saving that room. Everybody that's in that room, we're saving. And by the way, that's why for this series, somebody asked me last week, what is that red cloth that's out of that window? Well, that's what it is. It's Rahab's way of saying, I'm on board with the plan, and this is where I am, and I'm counting on you rescuing or saving me in, in, this, in this home. In addition to that, you are to bring all of your family into your home. They cannot stay wherever they want. If they're wherever they want and we kill them, then their blood's on their head, not ours. But if you gather them all into that room of your home that's got the red flag flying off of it, then we're going to save everybody that's in that room. We, that's our promise to you. And so imagine, again, we're going to get onto this next week, but imagine all the family that has to gather and all the th emotions and all the things that are going to be going on inside that room. There's one more thing. You've got to be faithful to us and not tell anybody about our plans. And so you've got to keep a secret, Rahab. And if you don't keep the secret, then all bets are off again on our oath to you. So she has got to act on her faith and she has got to follow through on these things that they're asking her to do. And she did something with her faith. She made it a very active faith. By the way, this corresponds to CCF and our primary mission is to make maturing disciples of Jesus. That's our primary mission. That's what we want to do. That's where we rise or fall on the ability and the steps towards making maturing disciples of Jesus. I might also call that active discipleship. In other words, it's not a passive thing. It's something that we're involved in and that we actually give energy to. It's much like, again, the energy that Rahab had to give towards making her faith an active one. We, too, are individuals who are doing that. Here's an example. We know that God values prayer. And many of us, again, are learning how to pray. That's okay. But we're saying we want to make that active and we want to give energy towards having a meaningful and, and, and reasonable and good prayer life. And so again, that's something that we value. We know that God values us reading his word and meditating upon it and memorizing it and, and just taking it in. And so again, we, we value an effort, a, a, an attempt to say, I don't do this completely as well as I might, but I, I want to have a time in which I'm engaging God's word and I'm attempting to actually eat it, be nourished by it, enjoy it. Uh, another one, we're individuals that value living in community. We live in a, in a society in which people live largely in isolation. There's a lot of Lone Ranger stuff in every aspect of life. And we say, no, that's not the way we're going to live. We're going to live in a way in which we are in each other's business. We're in each other's space. And we, and we believe that's what God calls for. And as messy as that gets, if you've ever tried to live in Christian community for too long, it's hard. In fact, it will, it will hurt you in some ways. It will also be a tremendous gift to you. But that is where we go with our faith is we say we wish to practice that and so we're going to move towards relationship not away from it. 
And so that is again the kind of active faith that Rahab had and that we are also called to uh, emulate. God is calling us in order to uh, live life as, as active disciples. And I'm asking you, how is your faith active right now? Are you thinking regularly about the work of God all around you? Are you seeking to obey what he says? Because we live in a country in which it's far too convenient to keep God off at arm's length, to keep God off to the side. And we deceive ourselves by saying, you know, God, I've got this. You know, I really don't need much help right now. I, I really, I've got this one figured out. I've seen this one many times. I've got this one. I'm good to go on this one. And God says, boy, that's just not the posture I want. I want a posture in which, again, I'm, the, I'm central to you. I'm very needed by you. And the posture is one of humility. I want to share with you something that maybe Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents our nation has ever had, and something that he did and something that he said Take, take you back, it's 1863, it's just as the Civil War is, well, beginning to close, it took years for that to actually occur, but it's beginning to close, and President Lincoln says, I want to have a national day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. I'm setting that aside as April 30th, 1863, and he writes about why he wants the nation by the way, again, we normally are used to having a national day of prayer. But we few, few times do we add on, oh, by the way, it's a day of national humiliation. It's a day of national fasting. It's a day of national prayer. All three of those went together for our former president. And this is the way he describes that day. It's the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by history, that those whose nations only are blessed, oh, excuse me, and uh, proven by the history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord, the awful calamity of civil war which now de de descends upon this land may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us, we've grown in numbers, in wealth, and in power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. I, I, I wonder how Abraham Lincoln would describe our lives today. I, you know, I think he would shake his head because I think we're even further down the, the trail of saying, you know, we've got this rather than God, our dependence is upon you. Active faith requires that we crucify self-righteousness, we crucify self-sufficiency, and an act of faith is calling upon us to have a dependence upon God, and one that is actually daily, hourly, uh, minute by minute. Let me go ahead and attempt to bring this all into focus for us. A phenomenal faith, as given to us by Rahab, is one in which it's anchored, it's practical, and it's active. And I wonder which of those, perhaps, is being described today 
for you that you need to most hear about. Let me pose you three questions and the three questions I think will help you dig a little bit deeper in knowing which one of these may apply to your life the most. Have I anchored my faith in the power of God? So again, am I kind of floating around on how I feel about God moment by moment or have I really said no? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God. The God who parted the Red Sea is my God. The God who raised Jesus from the dead, my God. The God who's actually worked even previously in my life in this moment, my God. And I'm going back and saying there's things about God that I want to anchor my faith in that are much more true about me than even the, the, the feelings or the emotions I have at this moment. Have I asked God for anything and shown dependence upon Him? And I mean recently. I don't mean 10 years ago. But right now, is there something in which you're saying, God, I'm asking this from you and I, I'm depending upon you for this. I'll tell you in my life right now, there's some things I'm really depending upon God for with my mom. My 97-year-old mom's not doing well right now. And boy, it can be a confusing time caring for an elderly parent. I, I'm just signing up for that. It, it, it's confusing at times and it's hard. And so boy, I'm asking God to intervene in that way and help me and help her. And so it's an area where I'm depending upon him right now. Have I done something to actively, actively pursue my faith? And so there's spiritual practices that we go through in order to aid us learning how to follow God. And so again, it might be, you know, I, I, I'm really going to devote some time to understanding prayer and trying that. Maybe it's in the Word. Maybe it's I'm trying to love a person that's not easily loved. And so, God, I'm needing your power to go and do that. Maybe it's somebody, again, that I know that's a friend and I wish to share Christ with them, but I want to do that in a healthy and meaningful way. God, help me with that. Whatever it is that God's leading you into, is it something that's active? Do not expect that you're going to be a disciple of Jesus on the backstroke. It doesn't work that way. It's something that, you, that God's saying, lean in. Come with me. Try something. Even if you fail, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to move along. And so again, maybe these three questions are very valuable for you to know where God is working in your life right now. Which one of the questions would God most like you to act upon today? Faith is not a one and done. It's not done something way back there in the past. It's something that's active. It's daily. It's again, right now at this moment. And faith is what pleases God the most. Rahab has phenomenal faith. And so can you. It's not out of the question that God would say, oh, I'm so pleased with you and the faith that you have in me. And it's so real. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm just putting my arms around you and saying, so well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we would never pick Rahab to be the hero of the story, but you did. And you used this woman to tell us what faith really looks like. And I'm asking, Lord, would the faith of Rahab and the way she demonstrates her dependence upon you be infectious to us? And may her life manifest itself by your holy word into us today. May we be people who make our faith anchored in you. May we be people who make it practical and daily and things that we're asking for as a result of you working in us. And may it be, again, an active faith in which we're taking steps forward. And we're not assuming everything is okay, but boy, we're really coming to you and saying, Lord, make it okay. Lord, we trust you today. We love you today. And we ask that, again, the faith would be real at this church for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.